Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Oh, yes. You know, I don't know about you, but this has been such a, oh, furious and fast week. I mean, I realize that there's been a lot of political tension and, you know, there's another hurricane on the way and, It was my 65th birthday, and um, but one of the things I really do know is that no matter what happens, we are going to be all right. You know, I mean, I saw people fighting and bickering about all sorts of political issues, and I thought, come on now, if you were using Carol the Coach's skill set, no matter what happened, you'd be able to turn that thing around and reframe. You think Joe Biden lost? Reframe it. You know, think about what are the potential things that would have worked had Trump won. Now you think Trump lost? Reframe it. What are some of the positives that may come out of the Democrats winning? You know what? Why do you get so upset about things? You've got enough conflict in your life already. If you have compulsive problematic sexual behavior, your plate is full. And so you've got to moderate the other things. And if you are a partner, it is super important for you to chill. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that good intentional self-care is that you figure out how to make your life different. Well, you know, I've got this workbook coming out for women. Well, it's for partners. And it's 
How to Get Beyond Partner Betrayal. And it really is quite fascinating. I am super excited with how it looks. It's called Unleashing Your Power, Moving Through the Trauma of Partner Betrayal. And, and it really does help you to create a new identity, separate from the crisis, separate from the discovery, separate from the disclosure. You know, and, and since there are so many cognitive distortions that partners especially get into, I want you to know that you're 100% okay exactly as you are. And you are. And, you know, I know I reference it as she's, and we know that there are a lot of male partners too. And I hate that. I hate that. I wish we had a term for just generics. Um, you know, so that you wouldn't know if I was talking to you as a woman or a man. And I know we actually do have a few, but the, that verbiage is typically used for gender fluid identities and all sorts of things. You can tell I'm just rattling off. I think it's because I'm kind of coming down from that 65th birthday. Um, and I have to now take a look at my life and decide how I want to reorganize it. Um, I'm definitely going to be working less. And I'm definitely going to be picking and choosing my priorities. And, hey, I, I do have something I want to talk to you about. Marnie Breaker and I, I hope you listen to her podcast. She and Dwayne do a fabulous podcast, Helping Couples Heal. And she and I are doing a workshop on December 4th. It's an all-day workshop. I think it starts at 8 o'clock for Pacific Standard Time and 11 o'clock if you're Eastern Standard Time and we go to 7 if you're in the Midwest or New York. But we are going to be helping couples to heal. Now, you don't have to be a couple to attend, but it really is focused on couple skills and relationship skills. And Marnie and I, um, we're just quite a power pack duo. And we have a lot of fun and we want to have a fun workshop for you. We're going to be doing a lot of exercises. We're going to be doing some anger exercises. Even though it's virtual, we're going to have you do some volume work. We're going to have you set some real strong um, boundaries, and we're going to have you practice them. And we're going to talk about empathy, because, of course, that's my favorite subject. And... I just hope you can join us. If you're interested, you have to go to Marnie's website and register with Meredith. You can email me. I'll send you all the information. I've got flyers. And that's at carol at carolthecoach.com. So that's how you do it. And we'd love to have you. It's not cheap. Marnie says it's not expensive. I'm a Midwest girl, so it's probably $100 more than I would have had you pay. And you've missed the early bird special, but come and join us for Hanukkah or for Christmas. Um, We really appreciate when we can help couples to heal. You know that. You know that about both of us. Again, that's December 4th um, from 11 to 7. Eastern Standard Time. 
looking forward to seeing you. You know I have not advertised that much. Now that I can relax a little bit, I can advertise it a little bit more. And I am so excited because tonight we're going to be talking about what does a partner's um, healing look like after the crisis? And there is no doubt that oftentimes one of the things that I know is that after the crisis is over and the dust has settled, comes the hard work, the work of, okay, what do I want to do to invest in myself? What do I want to do to invest in the relationship? And so we have Michelle Burkett on, and she's going to be talking about her own life, and she's going to be talking about years of working with women who have navigated betrayal in their marriage. Uh, She knows that it is very common to ask what's next, and so we're going to be talking about that. Whether you're male or female, you're a partner, we're going to help you decide what is next. And let's face it, you know, and I know, that um, every individual does it differently. Every individual has different needs. And you may have heard me say this before. When I ask a partner, what do you need, he or she usually goes, I don't know. That's why I'm here. What do I need? So that's why I made that Chapter 3 in my Help or Heal book. Needs are really important. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. And um, I just so appreciate her wisdom. She is really an expert. And she's an app So it doesn't get any better than that, right? And actually, one year ago today, I was sitting right next to her at a training when she was helping out uh, through the graciousness of her heart. And so I'm telling you, we people at AppSats give and give and give because we know that if you're a partner, the resources are slim. They're getting better, but they're definitely slim. And um, we want to be a part of the formula for healing. So I'm excited to invite you. I don't think you've ever been on this show, but Rochelle, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Hi, Carol. Thank you so much for having me. You're right. This is my first time on your podcast, on this podcast with you. So thanks. And what time is it there? I'm I'm in Eastern with you, so it is nine it is nine twelve right now p.m. Eastern. So um, I'm okay. trucking along with you. Are your kids in bed? Are your kids they, in bed? They they are they are in bed and Dad is in charge, so I'm free to go. Excellent. Well, you know I know that we both understand you know the crisis and it's in and of itself is so impactful, but then. After the crisis occurs, we, we know that a partner's healing is different for everybody. And so I wanted to ask you, what do you think partners need once they're past the initial shock? It's a great question. Um, as I was listening to you kind of do the intro here, I couldn't agree more about that honestly, after the initial shock, what I oftentimes will see in our ministry work with Hope Redefined is um, 
And after the initial shock starts to wear off, women begin to try and return back to normal as fast as possible. And I think a huge part of that has to do with the fact that they don't recognize or they're not encouraged, depending on what kind of support systems in place for them, um, to really explore deeper healing with for themselves. And so it's that, you know, that initial shock that comes in and rocks the marriage, whether that's discovery, whether it's a rediscovery where she thought, hey, this was done years ago, and all of a sudden there's new information that surfaced. Either he's been exposed by outside sources or she's, she's essentially exposed his sin um, and the things, he, the addiction he's wrestling with, you know, or he's even confessed. And so, and that's kind of that initial shock that I see in couples where, I mean, and legitimately she actually will function and she's in shock. Like I'll hear women say, I don't even know how I'm still breathing um, when they're in that stage, or I'm not sure how I'm going to get dressed tomorrow because they're just still in such a state of shock, but it's the aftermath is where the, the work really starts to begin. Like you mentioned. Well, yeah, and and you and I both know that when the shock occurs, the executive functioning of the brain goes offline, and and mm-hmm. and then when things begin to settle down, it takes a while for the brain to actually heal, and so decision making is still difficult. Now, I'm going to ask you: Do you think that? The initial crisis has a time frame, you know, like one week, one month, one year. I and mean, how do you see that crisis? It's a great question. I honestly see women come in, and that initial crisis kind of spans all of those time frames, from one week, one month to one year. I've seen women who, um, especially if they've had a level of complex trauma, um, or they're sitting in complex PTSD, like th- that year time frame or even longer can really sit there and feel that way, that they're still feeling like they're in initial crisis. Um, so I wouldn't say that there's a, um, a for sure like time limit on what it looks like in that initial crisis. I think that for each woman it's different, like you've already talked about. Um, but there is there is some element of where women can notably say there's been a shift for me. I've noticed that um, I'm starting to eat again or I'm sleeping. Maybe it's not as consistent, but I'm at least getting, you know, two, three hours of sleep at night now versus before I wasn't sleeping certain nights, those types of things. And so you'll kind of see them progressively come out of that initial crisis phase. Well, that makes sense. And so talk about, if you will, the narrative you know, the direction that women receive as the husband begins to go to work for himself. What do you think is communicated or not communicated to the wife when a couple reaches out for help? Yeah, so, you know, I, the a huge portion of the women that we work with are partners, and, I, and I, I'll say this like you did before, it's like partners can be men or women, but I predominantly in our ministry, we work with women and also predominantly women of faith and of Christian faith. And so one of the things, the narrative that um, has been very hard on women in recovery has been what's not actually been communicated to them. So the way this played out in my own story is that when my husband's addiction came out 16 years ago, what began to happen was all these resources started coming his direction. He had 
um, a pastor individuals within the church that started giving him certain resources, books to read. They had a group for him to go into. They had, you know, just different things you could Google, and there were certain things that were available at the time. Covenant Eyes was already out there um, and different things like that. And so, but when it became my, when my, my, my pain and my healing started to come around, there was nothing that was communicated to me. And what I mean by that is like we sat in a pastor's office and we're attempting to figure out what to do with this mess. And from my perspective, everything began to be directly given to my husband and nothing was ever really said to me. So the way I interpreted that, even though it wasn't directly said to me, what was interpreted for me was, oh, well, when he gets well, then I'll be well. And so we're just going to push all of our resources, all of our efforts into his work. And I'm also going to help manage that, encourage it, control it, whatever it looks like. Because what's not being said to me is, well, there's nothing for you because there's nothing for you to do. And as the years continued to go on for us in our own healing journey, I really began to understand what a false teaching or false um, support that was because I needed help, but no one was talking to me about what help I needed. So that's the narrative that I tend to see as women's husbands begin to do that work. They are not being given any kind of instruction on, hey, there's, there's healing that needs to take place for you. You, have, you need to have permission to grieve. You need to be able to create space for self-care. You're potentially just going to be incredibly overwhelmed, all the things that come with that initial crisis. But even still, moving further out, struggling with rebuilding trust, not being able to feel safe, um, you know, the wrestle with vulnerability, intimacy, forgiveness all the things that come with this that kind of come in after in the aftermath of that initial phase. Okay. And so part of your work with women was based on that common experience that occurs to partners, including yourself. So what kind mm-hmm. of, what kind of support did you have? I know initially it didn't seem like much, but what did you have, and then what have you seen in terms of support for partners in today's world? Yeah, so I had um, a, I had very li- limited resources um, when our mm-hmm. story first came out, and that his, that my need for something was happening. So. A lot of what I found was like I would I would find books that were essentially another person's story, their testimonial of how they went through this in their own story. So I would read those kinds of books, and, and they were helpful, and it was good to know that I wasn't alone, but I'd get to the end of it and be like, well, what do I do with me? Like all of this pain is still here, and I don't know what to do with it. And I kept looking in those types of resources for that kind of support. I did have some really safe friendships. Um the which were great friendships, but the hard part about it is that not all of those friendships had ever experienced this. So when I was having a day that just felt really off, it was hard for me to communicate, and it was actually just kind of too much work. It was exhausting to have to communicate, this is how I'm feeling today because of X, Y, and Z. Because the other part of that, to be honest with you, I didn't really know why I was feeling the way I was feeling. I just was. 
And so the relationships, while I had safe community, they weren't really, they weren't the relationships that I needed for that exact space of support. Um, so that was there. But, and then there was an element, I did go to a wives group at one point, support wives group. Um, and again, it was, it really just fell short for me in regards to the fact that some of the leadership of the group had never experienced this in their own story. So it was hard for me to feel like they could relate to what I was going through. So you'll see that's kind of my, the theme that's happening through all of this is like, I just really needed someone to understand me and almost understand me with like very limited words <laughs> that they just got me. So that's the support well, that I was hoping and desiring. And, you know, you, like so many other pioneers in this field, um, you, you realize that there's, there's something missing. There's a loss. There's a lap, there, lapse. There's um, a gap in services or support or connection. And, and I remember Barbara Stephens, uh, the president of APSAT, saying, you know, there were so many groups for men, so many 12-step groups, so many therapy groups. And mm-hmm. she went to a CSAT and she said, hey, you know, why aren't there groups for women? What about women? What about partners? And he said, and when are you going to start one? And so in many <laughs> ways, you have done the same thing. I mean, you have created Hope yes. Redefined as a retreat center, as a service provider, and and you really did recognize that there is a huge gap in what partners need and want. And so, you know, I'm interested in hearing what types of support have you seen work well for women as you've uh, traveled down this road? That's a great question. So uh, the short answer is, is lots of different support types. Um, and I think that's a bit of why, even as our organization, our ministry continues to grow, it's one of my desires is to be able to offer a lot of different type of support to give women the opportunity to choose. Because it's not as much as uh, most women I sit with, they're like, can you just give me a formula? And I'm like, I'm so sorry, there's just not a formula. Like, you've got to really just know that you're in process and do the next thing. Um, but the support styles that I've seen that have been super support, super helpful for women has been, um, the first I would say is good, healthy support groups. And while I know that my particular support group in the beginning wasn't ideal, um, the opportunity to sit with other women who get it, who have experienced this betrayal alongside you in their own story there's nothing like it. I've, I've watched women who've spent years in therapy and they've never done a group and they come into that group and all of a sudden it's like they have such a new level of validation. They have a new sense of community and sisterhood that they never experienced before as they were doing independent counseling. And it's not that the independent counseling wasn't good. It was just I, one of the things I've heard women say is, oh, my gosh, my, my counselor's been saying that to me for the last year, and I didn't understand what they were saying. But now that I've heard Sally say something, that makes total sense to me. And so it's just this opportunity to be in this like-minded community going towards our own, each of our own healing um, and learning from each other. And so it's a really powerful uh, modality of, you know, healing. So support groups for sure. 
Another option of support that I've seen that works really well is doing coaching. Like you, um, Carol, and myself is doing that one-on-one support. Um, That's super powerful for women, especially when they live in areas that do not have a clinician, a counselor that has any kind of um, specialty or focus or um, training in betrayal trauma. So it's not that I'm a counselor. I won't say that at all. But what I do get to offer a woman is a safe place to process and give her the opportunity to grow in her healing process. So at my responsibility as a coach or any coach that's in this area is to help a woman move from today forward. And that, that is so powerful to be able to sit with a woman and just really help her do the work. When you mentioned at the beginning of the call about talking about identifying needs, that's one of the biggest things that I will spend with women in early days of coaching is helping them identify what is their need Um, because it's something that we just don't sit long enough to figure out or we've been denied it for so long that we don't know how to tap into it. So those are two of them. Um, We do a – yeah. Well, I was going to say, and, you know, when you talk about needs, I mean – I know oftentimes I will help both addicts and partners break their needs down into um, psychological or emotional, intellectual, Mm -hmm. social, physical, spiritual, and purposeful. And that, of course, is where we want addicts and partners to go in their lives is eventually get healthy enough that they're giving back and they're contributing and they are leaving a legacy of purpose. And yet, you know that both for a new addict or a partner that has just gotten out of that uh, crisis slash discovery stage, we would not ever expect her to know something like that. It's really kind of like you indicated at the beginning. What do I do to get through the day? How do I get the sleep Uh that I so badly need? Who can I talk to about this? And who, you know, who's safe? And really kind of examining from start to finish um, the potential outcomes of any decision a partner makes. And, and that's why I feel like two brains, three brains, four brains are better than one. When you've been through this kind mm-hmm. of thing, having a therapist and coach, having a support community, you know, we help each other think better. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Yes. Um, Yeah. I think even just watching someone come to life when they have permission, uh, one of the things I love watching a woman do is when we begin to brainstorm together. And so I talk a lot about, hey, just let me just let me sit with you in this and I'm just going to kind of lob some things out there and then you get to decide, yeah, that fits for me or no, it doesn't. and it's just amazing to be able to see them kind of come to life like, oh, my gosh, like when I just, you start to give them ideas and they're, they're, it reignites that, I guess, that passion, but also just that life that she's been so desperately missing. So, yeah, I think that having that support system and that other person's brain to utilize in this space to really figure out how to do the next thing is so powerful. And so – Pick out some basic needs. What do you see a partner's needs after crisis has begun to settle and they're in that very transitional period? 
Yeah, so I would say that um, the two top needs that I think I see most often with partners, but they don't understand, they don't have the words for it, but are truth and boundaries. Those are the two things that they really need support with in obtaining and also knowing how to really live in that space is in those two places in truth and boundaries. Well, that's a good point. And so explain to our listening audience, what does truth mean to you? I mean, it's not just truth about acting out. It's truth about everything. Uh, What does Mm -hmm. it mean to you? Yeah, so that's what that is that's the interesting thing about this that about sexual addiction is that oftentimes you will hear women say as they're beginning to start to process they'll say it's not the this or that and they'll give a detail of the of the story or the the um, addiction it's the lying it's the unknown it's the i can't figure out what's true in my history and so that's a part of it's just an innate need because um, like I love using the pyramid of intimacy that Dr. Janice Cottle and Dan Drake have created, that the foundation of that pyramid of intimacy, intimacy is built on truth. And so when a person doesn't have truth, they cannot begin to move through the other phases of relationship to move into intimacy with another person. So, um, So that's what I mean by truth is like getting the full story. So women are needing um, to get like the picture I get is like their world has morphed into a jigsaw puzzle and all of a sudden they've realized, oh my gosh, I'm missing major pieces of this puzzle and I don't know how to find them and I don't even know what they look like. And that's the, the different details and components of their story. So they need that in order to feel like they can get a full picture of their reality, which then sets them up to know how to move forward into the next piece of their healing. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, that's why truth is so important. Not only is it the foundation of rebuilding a relationship, but it's the only way that true healing is going to occur in the coupleship. I mean, ultimately, the women that I've worked with that have found post-traumatic growth Regardless of what happens in the relationship, regardless of what happens with the couple, they find their own truth. And at what I want to say, they, you know, kind of move beyond the trauma of partner betrayal. Uh Yes, and I've seen your work in that, and I will totally agree to that. That it is about their healing, whether or not their husband ever gets well. It is about their healing. Okay, and you may have answered this, but obviously as they are working on their healing, I'm wondering if you've seen one support work better than another. And we know about the power of group support. Uh Would you you say that is absolutely the best support? I I would not say that is the absolute best support. I see a lot of women needing to enter into the different types of support when it feels right for them. So case in point, last week I got to meet with a woman who um, she's very much an introvert and she's also very empathetic. 
or and she's an empathic. And so as she and I were kind of doing this intro call, I could pick up on some of those character traits for her. And she really said, is it possible for me to do one-on-one coaching? And I couldn't have agreed more with her choice because I recognized that getting into a group, most likely she will deny herself space because she's an introvert and she's empathic. So she's going to let everybody else in that room talk before allowing her to have her own space to actually share her story or ask questions or whatever that looks like as the dynamic of the group. However, what I have watched with women, like with that kind of personality trait, is that once they get some space and they get to build um, some trust and rapport with a coach, then stepping into group is a great fit for them because all of a sudden now they recognize that they have they can occupy space, they don't have to be so Um, they don't have to caretake for everyone else in the group because they're starting to get healthy themselves. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's as much of a a need for them to kind of sit back um, and not take up space. But then I have other women who jumping into group is like the best choice for them because they are so desperate for that community and that, that connection and that accountability and all the things that come with group. So, and you know, thinking about the retreat, we, you know, we do an intensive healing retreat twice a year, and we have women who start there. That's the first thing they do. So to answer the question, which is, is there a support type that's better than another, I would say no. I wouldn't say there's one that's better than the other. I think that it, it really comes down to what is, what is the best fit for that woman in this season. But definitely yes. encouraging her to explore those. And, you know, since we're on the topic and since I've had clients come to your retreat center, one of the things that is so amazing about your intensives, your retreats, is that my clients that have gone have been contacted and gotten support before they even got to the retreat. And I know you know this. And then you Mm -hmm. offer support for weeks after they've been through their intensive. So, Would you mind telling us a little bit about the intensive and, you know, how you created it and why you created it and how it has transformed the lives of partners? Yes, it's it's such an honor to be able to talk about the retreat. So you're absolutely right. Um, Part of the structure of our intensive healing retreats, it is actually what we would call a spiritual intensive healing retreat, um, is very much rooted in the Word of God. And we are essentially carving out the space for women to come and sit in their story for several days in a very safe and healthy environment. And so there's um, part of our, we have like a flow. We have things that we're inviting women into and we're trying to get them to step into the next phase of different parts of healing that we feel like God has laid on our hearts to share with those women as participants. But The uniquenesses about the retreat, like you mentioned, is the support that comes before, during, and after. So our retreat is there's two of us that are facilitators, but the rest of the individuals who also come to the retreat, we have a volunteer team that comes in, and they are part of our support system. So prior to the retreat, every participant is assigned a buddy. That buddy, her job and responsibility is to reach out and connect with that woman who's coming and just really make her feel safe and know that she's seen and known before she comes to that retreat. 
Um, and that buddy's on our team, so she'll get to meet that person, that woman. And the majority of our team is made up of women who have actually come to the retreat before them. So we have women who come to the retreat, they come back and they say, can I volunteer on your team? And so then we have a training process and we get them up to speed and then they get to serve on a future, on a future retreat team. Um, and so those women are all at the retreat the entire weekend. We do multiple times of um, one-to-one personal ministry time uh, where we might be leading women through particular prayers or just supporting them in different activities. Um, so there's lots of intimate space there with just individuals. And then after the retreat, part of the retreat cost, we build in a six-week post group or aftercare is what we call it. And so the women get to come back together and meet through Zoom for six weeks and have that continued support. And a lot of the things that we teach or introduce to them at the retreat, we begin to go through again and allow them to do that in real life. Because we know that, I mean, you know, people, we've been to retreats. Like, you get to have that, like, mountaintop experience. This is amazing. And then later you're like, yeah, well, that's because none of my kids were there. I wasn't running to carpool. I didn't have to do this, (laughs) right? Life wasn't in the way. And so what we really want to do is help women recognize that there's actually life-changing things that can happen. So we want to support them when they go back into their real life and and continue to talk about the tools that we're giving them and show them how to use them in the real world. And so that's our retreat. It's called Redeemed Hope, and we offer it twice a year. We'll have one coming up in March of 2021, and then we'll do another one in October. And we we, um, host those right outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, we do limit the retreat to 12 women, so it is a small retreat, um, but it's so, so powerful. Well, yeah, and again, you've organized it so well that, Everybody is really supported, and Steve and I both know that this can be a really tough time, and it is a spiritual retreat in that um, there is a lot of reliance on a higher power, on God, to, to support you through this, too. Um, but what I think my clients have gained the most is a release of the many emotions that have been stored repressed and suppressed in their minds, hearts, and souls. And so it's a way to surrender some of that and to retrust the world, because you and I both know when a partner's been betrayed, mm-hmm. she doesn't trust herself, she doesn't trust her partner, her spouse, and she doesn't trust the world anymore. Completely agree. There's so much restoration that happens at that retreat. It's difficult as a facilitator to even put into words. People will say, how is the retreat? And I'm like, I don't know how to talk about miracles. Like, because you don't get to, as much as I would like to tell you, it goes from A to B to C, and that's how it happens every time. It's such a personal experience for each woman. And so being able to see God come in and do that and really meet women in this very vulnerable and raw space and do so much healing. It's, it's an honor. Like I don't have any other word to say for it. It is a true honor for me to be able to get to do this with them. So. Well, I know, and they definitely feel that too. So now, you, you know, you have just talked about a zillion different ways the partners can access support <laughs> after the crisis of betrayal has occurred. When would you encourage a woman to reach out for support? 
Oh, I would encourage her to reach out as soon as possible um, because I think that a lot of times we keep waiting for the right time, the right season, the right moment. Um, and if I could be completely honest, I just don't think there is one. Um, I think that I've watched women on in various ages and, you know, seasons of life, and everyone would, I think it would be a unanimous, I wish I would have done this 10 years sooner. Um, because they recognize how much life passes them by and the things that they lose out on because of the this, the missing space for their own healing. They're missing out on the that quality of life, those relationships, the things that they don't recognize that their betrayal is impacting the way that they show up in other places in their life. And so suddenly when they start to experience a little bit of freedom, they begin to understand boundaries or, and they start stepping back into health. They really have a moment of grief and loss about the things that, that they didn't get to have because of this still in, in the way. And I don't know if that makes sense, but it's just still taking up space in their heart. And so I would say do it today. Okay, and so obviously, if our listening audience wanted to find out about about your coaching services, about your retreats, um, about your groups, could they contact you? Yes, they can find us out, um, on the web. Our website is hoperedefined.org. Um, so hoperedefined.org. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. You're welcome to email me directly at support at hoperedefined.org, and that comes straight to my email. Um, and you can, on our website, we list out all the support options that we have for women um, in different different ways that they can um, sign up and register for various groups that we offer or coaching, retreat, um, online community. There's lots of options in there. But I wouldn't even just limit it to us. Like uh, if I could just make a plug for there's so many amazing coaches within our AppSats community, and they're all doing groups. Or not, I shouldn't say they're all doing groups, but a huge portion of them are doing groups. And so I would even advocate for a woman to go to appsat.org and even look to see if they can find someone in their state or in, you know, in their town and uh, reach out to them and say, hey, can you refer me to something? Can I do coaching with you? Can I do a group? Um, it's, it, they're just so, we have so many amazing colleagues and they're so talented at what they do. So, Yeah, I would agree with that totally. And they can reach out to you or myself. And if they, you know, if they were to say, you know what, our, our marriage didn't make it and I need a divorce coach. Well, we've got people at that uh-huh. that that's their niche. Or I'm dealing with an unhappy man who's not getting healthy and he's not in good recovery and he, he just keeps blaming me. And then, then we might respond to um, a gaslighting coach, a Darvo coach, somebody mm-hmm. who is an expert at how do you not take on, oh, boy, the, um, the effects of a spouse who's not in good recovery. You know, because if you're not in good recovery, you're going to minimize, you're going to defend, you're going to deny you may even darvo or gaslight, putting the blame back on the partner when it's not about the partner. It's about his recovery. So both Rochelle and I can talk to you about who might be good at a specific niche. If you've got the need 
and the disease to please, we can help you with that. If you want mindfulness, we can get you to the right people because that's what coaches do. We are, you know, I'm a coach, you're a coach. We're instructed to develop niches to really um, fine-tune our craft, if you will. I mean, there's just no doubt I'm the empathy coach. I love sharing empathy. And if you, Michelle, had to identify one of your niches, what would you say it is? Oh, well, I do enjoy empathy as well. Um, But I think that I'm probably really strong at helping women um, rediscover rediscover their identity in Christ. Um, So that crisis Mm. of faith is a, is a place of strength for me in, in connection with betrayal. Well, and can you talk a little bit about that, that crisis of faith that naturally occurs when a, a partner has had her, her whole world shattered? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a real thing. And it's, um, I think, you know, again, it comes, some of it is part of my own story where I experienced it, but then just sitting with other women and, being able to really encourage them because the truth is, is that there's a part of this where as you grow up in your faith, you know, you're, you're believing and you trust that God is your protector. And so when betrayal comes out, there's this massive confusion of where were you? Why were you not protecting me? And I don't understand. And there's just this, this sense of loss that happens for us. And then I'll even say on the other side of that, what I've seen, I've witnessed myself in watching relationships is that the addict in some of these relationships, the addict will all of a sudden have this like awakening and he is just on fire for Jesus and he just wants to go save the world and she's over here slowly fading away. And the bizarre thing is, is that the church will begin to rally around him because now he's on fire and she's, you know, she's kind of withering and there's not a lot of people who are ready to sit in the wither, right? They'd rather go towards the fire and the passion and all of that. And so she needs somebody to sit there with her and go, hey, you're allowed to struggle in this space. Like God is big enough for that. He, he's, he, you know, and then we go through a lot of that, him understanding betrayal and um, just grief and all the different emotions that it's really clear in the word of God. And so, uh, but giving her that permission I think that's one of the things that has been one of the biggest gifts I've ever extended to a woman is just giving her permission that what she's experiencing is real. Her pain is legit. So that's what I would say, identity of Christ, or their identity, their crisis in faith, sorry. So that's the, you know, that's where you get to just sit with a woman and really help her come back into a place of safety and, you know, God's so faithful to be able to show you where he was and a lot of that. And so that's what I get to do, and I really love it. Yeah, well, I, you are really good at it, too. So for anybody that that knows that even though their whole world has been rocked, including their spiritual faith, Michelle is an excellent connector to get you back in touch with everything that um, you need to connect with to redevelop and rebuild that that trust. Now, I want to ask you before we end, um, when a woman gets her own support, you know, and she finds that space to heal, what do you believe changes in her? 
Oh, wow. It's been amazing to be able to witness that firsthand. I watch women's quality of life just take drastic shifts um, in their, just even in just finding their voice. That in and of itself, I'll never forget there was a woman who, you know, you think this sounds extreme, but this was her reality. She was like, I, she reported in on her coaching one day, she said, I didn't like my salad at the restaurant yesterday. And so I told them that I didn't like it and I would like something different. And she goes, that was amazing. And she goes, you know, they weren't mad at me. They took care of me, you know, like all the things, but it was like, even that simple and small of a thing of her not having her voice, but then beginning to find it and reclaim it and use it in a healthy way. It's not that she was being arrogant or aggressive or anything like that. It was just her being able to have a voice in this world. So watching things like that really shift a person's quality of life, being able to help a woman stabilize and ground herself. I mean, her, you know, physical health starts to recover, her sleep, all the different things that come with that. Um, And then watching relationships. I've watched women whose relationships were so broken, their extended relationships, like with their children, adult children, you know, extended family, because they had literally just been surviving in this chaos of their marriage. And so as they started to find their own healing and they were able to really start to, um, untangle themselves from the marriage, the chaos, the husband, whether or not they were divorced or, you know, or still married, like there's still a way for you to get yourself back into a healthy balance and watching women just reclaim lost relationships with people who've been so important to them. It's amazing. It's so worth it. So those are just some that came off the top. Yeah, I appreciate that. And so, Obviously, we talked about what that support looks like and the many, many different avenues, how she would change if she pursues it. And, and actually, you and I both know that when change occurs, it affects everything. You know, one of my very favorite sayings is when you change the way you look at things, the things around you change. So when women begin to regain their own sense of self, they begin to attract into their lives um, good things that they can begin to believe in that will help to create that newfounded sense of identity. And so I'm going to ask you a personal question before we end. Obviously, you took something that was tragic and crisis-oriented and um, devastating, and you turned it into good. So can you tell our listening audience how you believe you've changed as you've gone through this process? Oh, <clears throat> I, that's a great question, Carol. I think um, above anything else, I probably one of the biggest things that has changed for me is an unwillingness to live in fake anymore. I just remember that being such a place that um, I just have one particular memory that just came to mind as I said that was going to church and walking through church and not telling a soul what was going on and just literally feeling like something was strangling me because I was living such a fake facade and being able to come out 
and be honest with myself, be honest with my story has just changed the way that I am willing to live. Like I just, well, I cannot do it again. I can't go back into that place of pretending. And that's true for me across the board in all parts of my story. Um, Being a mom of five kids, you know, life is messy. And every person that's around me knows that I'm doing messy. And I don't have to pretend like Mm. I'm anything other than that. So I think that would be one of the biggest changes for me. And I think that obviously the other thing would be is just that when you start to experience freedom and healing, a bit like what yourself, rediscovering yourself, and then you get to turn around and you extend a hand to the next woman, and then you watch her do the same thing to the next woman, like all of a sudden you're like, I can't stop doing this. Like I got to keep going. And so whatever that looks like, I mean, I, when I started this work, I just, I started a, I started a small support group at my church and was just a safe place for other women. And, you know, God just took it from there, but being able to do that and say that I'm willing to sit with my story so you can come into this room and sit safely with your story and just trust that something's going to change because we're talking about it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so, I'm going to ask you to describe five personality adjectives that you believe reflect who you are today as a result of being a partner and moving beyond this partner betrayal. Okay. <laughs> You're putting me really on the spot. Let me think five. Oh, always. Okay. Okay, I, got, I think I got it. Okay. Relational, <laughs> authentic, uh-huh. uh, I would say joyful, honest, and vulnerable. I love that. And so obviously, Brene Brown says that the best way to build trust and to restore trust when it been lost is to find a way to be authentic, honest, and vulnerable. So that was, those were five great words. And I just want to thank you for being vulnerable, even in answering that, as well as in making it your passion to help women because you have really made a difference and it is super exciting um, to see the work you're doing and how God's working through you and the women that are giving back. So thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you, Carol. Thanks for being such an inspiration for me. So I appreciate it. Always. Absolutely always. We hope <laughs> to see you soon face-to-face okay. in person. Yes, uh, most definitely. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, Michelle Burkett, and uh, she has the website www.hoperedefined.org and you can reach her personally at support at hoperedefined.org All right. I look forward to to talking with you next week and um, as we always say, I'll only be one of you at all times so you fearlessly have the courage to be yourself and make it a good one.